Man, I'm excited because we are in the, the third week of this series called Relationship Goals. And this week, I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. We're just going to talk about sex. Baby, let's talk about you and me. All right, so that being said, all right, uh, and it's not going to be nasty, it's not going to be dirty, anything like that. And if you're in middle school and above, you really should be here. We want you to be here and to kind of listen in and have a godly perspective about sex and what God's word says about sex. However, if you are in elementary school or if your parents brought you in today, um, now is the opportunity for you to visit our kids' area. I'll just throw that out there. You don't have to, uh, but you're gonna hear some, some terminology that you might not be comfortable uh, communicating with your little ones at this point, but I'm gonna leave that in your well-capable hands and you make the decision, but I just wanna throw that out there because week three, that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today. And in this series, we've been talking about some goals that will help us to build our relationships. And one of those areas I think there's a lot of frustration and not a lot of fulfillment in really has to do with our sexual relationship. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, if you start reading your Bible, you don't get very far until the topic of sex comes up. In my Bible, it's on page two, all right? So it happens quickly. Genesis chapter two, uh, verse 25 says this, then God made a woman and he brought her to the man. This is it, Adam exclaimed, all right? That's kind of what he said. The original Hebrew, uh, Adam says, dang, girl. That's kind of what it really means. <laughs> the man and his wife were both naked, but neither was embarrassed or ashamed. There was no shame in their naked game. And there didn't have to be any because they were in a right relationship with God. And when you and I are in a right relationship with God, it, it brings us in, into a right relationship with one another. And so there was no guilt in that. There was no shame in that, that God had created sex for their benefit, for their enjoyment. I was thinking about this. Why did God create sex? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I'm not complaining. I'm grateful and I'm thankful for it. But why did he did he do it in the first place? I wanna give you three quick kind of ideas, um, reasons why. One is to strengthen unity. It really is a bond that, that unites husbands and wives together. It, it, it binds us. Five times in scripture, the Bible says, the two shall become one flesh, or they shall become one flesh. Sex is that, that physical expression of that spiritual truth. That the two become one, and it's, it binds husbands and wives together in the relationship, it also provides pleasure. It's, it was not meant to be for, uh, you know, bad, not a necessary evil, you know, anything like that. It was to provide pleasure for the husband and the wife. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. And also it's to create children, to create offspring. In fact, the very first command that God gave Adam and Eve as husband and wife was to be fruitful and multiply, Right? That's the only command that the human race has actually kept pretty well. You know, we do a pretty good job at the fruitful and multiply business. But for many couples, out of those three, sadly, a lot of them, um, they kind of uh, just have the third one as the benefit to the relationship. Maybe there's not a lot of intimacy. There might not be a lot of unity in the relationship, a lot of strengthening that bond, maybe not a lot of, of pleasure or enjoyment, but maybe it's just been to create children. Uh, 
And because I think for that, a lot of people, sex has become a source of conflict rather than a source of, of connecting us together. And I believe a huge contributor of that has to do with our deficit in understanding and our understanding of sex. Because God really designed us with three dimensions. I don't know if you realize that or not, but you are a, a spirit, you're a soul, and you're a, a body, you're flesh. Like our spirit side, we're the only you know, beings of God's creation that he put his spirit into. And so it allows us to communicate with God. That's what our spirit does. Our souls, our emotions, right? We can communicate and connect with each other. We have that. And then we're a body. We're this earthly, fleshly body. So he designed sex really to encompass all three of those dimensions. We see it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 16. This is the message version. It says, there's more to sex than simply skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. For it is written in scripture, the two become one. The two become one, that there's more to it than just skin on skin. Today's relationship goal, if you wanna jot this down, is that sex begins long before the bedroom. There's more going on here, maybe more than we realize. And today I'm focusing on the fulfillment of our sexual relationships in the context of marriage, marriage, because God is very specific in his word, and he says that we need to understand a few different things that I want to give you this morning as it relates to sex beginning long before the bedroom. The first one to write down is this, sex begins in the brain. Sex begins in your brain. The most important sexual organ that any of us have is right here, right here. Now, real quick, I want to clarify that if you happen to be listening to the podcast recording after this, I'm pointing to my, my mind, all right, pointing to my head. Just want to, so there's no confusion when I say the most important sexual organ is right here. Because the way that we think about it has to do with everything. It makes a huge difference the way that we approach and our attitude toward sex. Because many of the problems that we have develop because we have wrong thoughts about it because we have wrong attitudes toward it. And since our attitudes really lead to our, our actions, they determine our actions, if we have unhealthy attitudes about sex, then we're gonna live with an unfulfilled sex life. And unfortunately, it's easy for us to, to kind of pick up unhealthy thoughts and attitudes about sex. Colby, where do we pick those up from? From everywhere, from the playground, during recess, you know, we pick up some unhealthy ideas uh, about sex from, from news, from novels, Fifty Shades, right? We pick up unhealthy thoughts and attitudes towards sex from social media, from movies, from music. It's everywhere. In fact, I've known uh, people who've, who've picked up bad habits from well-meaning Christians about sex because they were uh, relying more on personal preference and opinion than they were on God's Words. So how do I make sure I have a right thinking and attitude about sex? Well, it first starts by reading and accepting what God's word says about it. Like that's where we need to begin, that we don't rely on our personal preference or opinions, but we rely on what God's word says. So what does God's word say about it? I wanna give you four healthy thoughts about sex if you wanna jot these down. In fact, this is gonna be real practical. Uh, I'm gonna give you some applications, but we're gonna cover a lot of ground. So I would encourage you to take notes uh, during, this, during this message today. Uh, four healthy thoughts about sex. One is that sex is a great gift from God for you. 
Like we need to see it that way, that it is a gift for us. First Timothy 4, 4 says, for everything that God created is good. Like everything is good. Nothing is to be rejected and all to be, is to be received with a prayer of thanksgiving. I want you to underline or highlight the word everything because everything includes your sexuality that God created. Everything he created, what he didn't create necessarily isn't, isn't I'm not saying that's good. But your sexuality, everything he created is not sinful, is not dirty, is not a necessary evil. It's good. According to God, it's very good. So what's bad about sex? Nothing. The way God intended it to be. But what's bad about it is the perversion of it, the abuse of it, the misuse of it that Satan wants to take the things that God made good and twist them and pervert them into something else. But sex, the way God intended it and created it, is good. It's a gift. Like God made you a woman or God made you a a man. You had no choice in that. Like he determined your sexuality before you were born and he gave us the ability to have sex. So it's a good gift from God. The second thing is that you should write down is sex is sacred. It's a great gift, but it's also a sacred act. And it's something that's holy. And it has profound spiritual implications. In fact, that's why God says it's reserved for marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says this, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. We are to honor, it's, it's a sacred event between a wife and a husband. As a teenager growing up, man, I thought I had the whole sex thing figured out, right? Because I'd heard about it from my friends. I'd seen the, the nudie magazines over at my friend's dad's house under his bed. I, I knew where he kept them, all right? And so, uh, you know, I, I thought I knew everything. The older I get, the longer I'm married, I realize how clueless I was and how little I understood about the, the, the spiritual and emotional and physical implications of sex. That God says it's good, it's a gift, but you should understand it is a sacred activity. I read an article in a Red Book magazine. I don't know how many of you read that, but Red Book, they did a survey and they, they discovered, and it's kind of like, you know, wow, this is how God designed it anyway, but they discovered the greater intensity of a woman's spiritual convictions, the more likely she is to be highly satisfied with sexual pleasures in the relationship. In other words, sexuality and spirituality are connected. They're tied together. They just discovered the most sexually fulfilled women are the most spiritually fulfilled women. And God designed it that way. That it has all these dimensions to it. That it is a gift. That it is, is sacred. The problem is, uh, for a lot of Christians, we teach our kids, uh, and we imply something when we tell them about sex that we don't necessarily mean to imply. Kristen and I, when we first got married, We thought how strange this whole thing was because all growing up, you know, she was brought up in a great Christian environment. It was no, 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 no. When it comes to sex, no, 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 no. And then you have a 30-minute ceremony called a wedding and all of a sudden, now it's go, 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 go. (laughs) That's a hard shift in gears, right? I mean, it's, it's no, 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 no. I do, I do too. Go, 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 go. Make up for a lot of lost time. And so I get it. It's this hard shift that we make. So parents, I believe we shouldn't be be telling our kids, no, 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 no. Shouldn't be saying when it comes to sex, no. What we should be telling them is wait, is wait. 
Not know it's nasty, know it's dirty, know it's, it's harmful, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's wait. Like wait for God's timing. Wait for God's, God's place in the, the context of a committed marriage relationship. It's sacred. The third thing I want you to jot down quickly is sex is a celebration of your spouse's bodies. Of your spouse's body. Now all the ladies are like, eh. All the guys are like, praise the Lord, right? I mean, like, <laughs> some of you haven't been vocal in church ever today. You're like, amen, pastor, amen. That's good, preach it, preach it. It's a celebration of our bodies. Proverbs 5, 18 says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her, yep, satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Captivated is the Hebrew word shagah. Everybody say shagah. Not shakaka, but shagah, shagah. And that's one of the most intense Hebrew verbs imaginable. It means to devour. It means to uh, be enthralled by. It means to um, um, uh, be ravished or intoxicated. Another version says, let her steal away your senses. Like that's God's idea for, for our sexual relationships in marriage, that it should be fulfilling, it should be fantastic. And I love that the fact this is not a suggestion. This is a command from God. He says, you need to rejoice in the wife of your youth. You need to have fun. And the fourth thing, real quick to jot down, is that it glorifies God. In the bounds of marriage, it brings glory to God. It really does. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, use every part of your body to glorify God. Now, God didn't make some parts bad and some parts you know, evil and other parts good. He said, they're all good. Your body is good the way I created it and designed it. One study showed that 40% of Christian women uh, say their greatest inhibitions uh, when it comes to sex in the relationship is their body. And you should know that God said, you know, I designed you that way. I made your body good, every single part of it. And so to have a right thinking, we need to understand how God views sex inside of a marriage, that it is a gift, that it's sacred, that it is uh, a celebration of one another's bodies and that it glorifies God. So we have to first adopt some healthy thinking that long before the bedroom, right, sex begins in the brain. It begins in the brain. Here's the second thing to jot down. Great sex requires great communication. You have to have great communication. You have to be willing to discuss your feelings, to discuss your needs, to discuss your desires, to talk openly with your spouse about your sexual relationship in the marriage. And for most couples, this is awkward. And this can be weird or hard, and we, we never really learn how to do this well. How, we don't really learn how to communicate that well with one another to begin with, much less communicate about sex inside of our marriage. Now, most of us, we figure out uh, and master the mechanics of sex, but because we've never really developed the necessary skills to communicate, you know, with one another and talk about it, then we never reach this deeper kind of level, and so a lot is missing from the relationship, from the marriage, which is a huge problem with premarital sex. Because in premarital sex, what you've done is you've become um, bedmates before soulmates. And so you start dating, 
Maybe you start sleeping together, and then you have this illusion that that sexual action cements the relationship, and you start thinking like, oh, we're so in love, we're so connected, everything is, is good, but you've never developed the necessary skills to be able to communicate with one another that will help the relationship you know, reach the long term. So while it appears that sex cements the relationship, it's only a thin layer of, of cement which will crack under pressure in an instant. And so we need to make sure we learn how to communicate with one another. I've talked to so many couples who would say, Colby, because we were bedmates before we were soulmates, we never really developed the skills to communicate clearly in the marriage. And we still don't even know one another. We still have difficulty in our communication with each other. Do you know what the most unpopular ministry is here at Elevate Church? It's our marriage ministry, by far. Because people will contact the church and say, hey, we want to have a wedding at the church. And our response is great, that's awesome. You wanna get married in the church, you wanna stand before God, you know, and, and, and make this, you know, join together in marriage, have this covenant with one another, that's great. You want your marriage to succeed, right? They're like, yeah, absolutely. That's why we wanna have it in the church. That's great. So then there's a couple things that you need to do. First of all, if you're having sex, you gotta stop. And they're like, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, you gotta stop. And if you're living together, you need to move apart. And you can't imagine the pushback, right? People will say, but we've been living together two years or three years or whatever it is. I'm like, yeah, but you, you want God to bless it. You want God to honor the relationship. So then you gotta move apart for a season until the wedding day and then come back together. And people will get angry and they'll get mad about that. And then I'll say, and you know, in addition to that, we want you to go through some counseling. We've set it up, it's called Symbus, saving your marriage before it starts. And you, you take a survey and you get connected with a marriage mentor and they talk about all the skills for communication and sex and finances and children and dealing with your in-laws and all that fun stuff, right? So in the marriage, and do you know that 50% of the people like are never heard from again? Like they vanished because they run off angry. They're like, I can't believe it. You know, they get so mad. They're like, I thought, here's what people say. I thought Elevate was a cool church. They were with it. They were cool with that kind of stuff. How dare they, they think that we have something to learn before we get married? I have one guy uh, tell me once, after giving him the whole spiel, he's like, I've never, like, I've been married three times and I've never been asked to do any of that. <laughs> That's right. That's probably why. So we need to set ourselves up for success by having great communication in the relationship. We have to be willing to talk about your frustrations, your needs, your likes, your dislikes, your desires, right? Maybe the things that make you uncomfortable and learn how to talk about those in such a way that doesn't cause an atomic explosion in the relationship. But too often when it comes to sex, uh, especially we play games with each other kind of beat around the bush, we're, we're a little vague in our communication, not saying the things that we really want to say or the, the, the things that we feel, uh, but clarity is critical in the relationship. Cl clarity is huge in, in a marriage relationship on any level, especially when it comes to talking about sex because we have different ideas. Maybe we have different expectations or terms or definitions that mean different things to one another. And so we can never assume anything. We must learn to communicate 
clearly, clearly. For example, um, guys, when your wife tells you, hey, honey, I want you home early from work today. What does that mean? What does early mean? Like you need to be specific. You need to be clear. You need to say, you better have your butt home by 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you know, or, or else, you know, kind of thing. Be clear in our communication. Or, or ladies, when your, your husband tells you, uh, I'll do that later. What does that mean? I'll do it later, right? We actually, we all know what that means. You might as well say, I'll, I'll do it by the end of the decade, you know, if I get around to it. We need just to make sure that in our communication with one another, that we are crystal clear. Because what that does, it is advances the relationship. Proverbs 13, 7, 13, 17 says, reliable communication permits progress. It moves things forward. There is no real intimacy without clarity in the relationship. There is no real intimacy without clear communication. So I got some homework for all the married couples in the room today. In the next seven days, here's what I want you to do. Set up a meeting. And it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward, all right, for you. It's going to stretch, stretch you a little bit. But set up a meeting where... Um, And I want you to pray before it, and I want you to bring two things to this meeting, two lists. One list that says everything that you love about the relationship as it is. It doesn't have to be just about your sexual intimacy in the relationship. It could be about anything in the relationship. Just one list, and just as much things as you can write on there, the things that you love about the other person in the relationship. And the second list, things that you would like to see in your sexual intimacy, things that that you would like uh, to talk about in the relationship, maybe things that you would like to see differently, be specific in the sexual relationship. And and real quick, when you do this, when you bring those lists together, don't make you statements. Don't say things like, you never do this, or you always do this. Uh, Making you statements are inflammatory, all right? The things will escalate, uh, they will cause conflict in the conversation. Instead, make I statements, I, I wish, you know, we could think about this, or I wish we could think about that, or I like it when you, you know, do that, or I like it when you do that right there, right there. I like it. So make I statements, not you statements, because remember, you're coming together uh, for connection, not for conflict, and you have to remember that you are on the, the same team. You are in a marriage. You love each other. Or you did at one point, Right? So make sure you come together, you know, for the sake of the team, out of cooperation, not out of competition. Don't come together to fix blame. Come together to fix the issue. And I'll just be honest, fixing blame, that's a waste of time. In fact, no one ever changes because of, of criticism. People change because of encouragement. And First Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, encourage one another. Build each other up. So just talk about it. Encourage one another. Colby, why should we do this? Like, really, why should we talk about sex? It's awkward. It's weird. Um, Because everyone else in the world is. And the only people who aren't are the people who are in committed relationships, marriage relationships, and they're the ones that need to be. You should be talking about this. If there are frustrations, if there are fears, if there are things that you would like to discuss, like it begins with great communication. Here's the third thing I want you to jot down. Great sex is not about looking after number one, but it's about looking after one another. Ultimately, it's about serving. It's about communication, and it's about serving each other. 
Sex is not a, a solo performance. It's about making sure you find out what, what your spouse wants and desires and needs. It's an act of communion and cooperation that involves, by the way, two very different people. I don't know if you've realized that, but there's a big difference between men and women. Like we're very different. Men and women are not equal. We're not. Um, I've said it before, but women are vastly superior to men at being women. Men are vastly superior to women at being men, right? I, I, I can only be Colby. I'm great at being Colby. I can't be Kristen. Kristen is great at being Kristen. She can't be Colby. We are not alike. Like our DNA shows that, that in every single cell of our body, we are not alike. And so God designed it that way for us to complement one another, not to conflict with each other. And so the goal is not to be about getting mine or looking after my wants and desires, but it's about looking after the other person in the relationship. First Corinthians 7 says, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. Mutuality means to determine what's best for both of you. What, what both of you enjoy, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. The marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out of bed. When you married your wife, when you married your husband, ultimately you gave up your rights to your body. You gave up your rights to your your, your individuality in the sense that God says, this cements you together, that the two become one flesh. It's that, that mystery. That it's not just about me anymore. It's about Kristen and, and Colby together. Now, when we gave up our rights to our body, I'm not suggesting, ladies, um, that, that this was a fair trade, by the way. I wanna throw that out there. Because men, we got the better end of the deal. We received a, a beautiful, soft-skinned, smooth, shapely creature of God. Ladies, uh, you received a hairy beast of a Sasquatch, all right? <laughs> so I'm not saying it was fair trade. You know, sorry, not sorry kind of thing. Um, it wasn't a fair trade at all. But the Bible says that we are to give ourselves to one another. Like what's best for him, what's best for her. And if you don't like that, then you need to discuss that with God because that's what God's word says, that we are to give ourselves. Marriage is not about uh, looking after number one, but looking after one another, which is why I wanna talk to some of the single people in the room real quick. This is the best reason for you to not date someone who is not a committed follower of Jesus because someone who is understands the motivation to serve you and why they want to serve you. Someone who doesn't necessarily get that, they might abuse the relationship, they might take advantage of it. I'm not saying that they, they will, but they just don't have that, that, you know what, I'm following Jesus, Jesus is first in my life, and because he served me, it's my goal to, to serve one another. They might not have that. So make sure you date someone, right, who loves Jesus first, and begin to pursue that relationship together. And the verse says marriage is not the place to stand up for your rights, for your rights. You're, you're giving your spouse the rights to you. you. You're, there's no longer an individual in the marriage, which is the exact opposite, by the way, of what the world teaches us. Culture teaches that, that sex really is all about me. It's all about getting mine. What I want, when I want it, what I feel like in that moment, that that's, that's my goal. The Bible says it's not about that. 
It's not about we. It's not about me. It's about, about the we. So how can I meet your needs? How can I take care of, of you? Unfortunately, many couples, what they do is they use it as a reward or as a weapon. And we end up hurting uh, one another by withholding or manipulating each other and the relationship. And so God speaks to that in the next verse. He says this, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. I already hear the new excuses, all right? It used to be, sorry, honey, I have a headache. Now it's, sorry, honey, I need to pray. Um, so I, I can see where this is going. But keep reading. Afterward, you should come together. Make sure that you come back together, that the two become one, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So don't use it as a weapon. Don't use it as a, a reward. Don't keep it from one another. But you might say, Colby, well, what if happens if I just don't feel like it? There could be a hundred different reasons why you, why you might be uh, experiencing a low desire for sex. They're all solvable, solvable, by the way, if you'll just commit to it. And if you'll, you'll kind of uh, willing to work on that. But the Bible says don't deprive. Another version says don't cheat each other out of sexual relationships. And I think the language is so strong is because when we um, ignore that, ignore your mate's needs, you're setting them up for temptation. You're setting them up for a, a foothold for the enemy to, to grab hold of. And in fact, if you want to, the best thing that you can do um, is if you don't provide a strong magnet at home, Satan will provide a strong magnet out in the world and will kind of lead us in that, that direction. They're everywhere. So you need to not set yourself up for failure. Don't deprive one another except for a short period of time and then make sure you come back together because you have some lack of self-control. Uh, how many of you, when you go on a diet, um, how often do you think about food when you're on a diet? Like all the time, right? Like you think more about food on a diet than you do when you're not dieting. The same is true when it comes to sex. Like what do you think about, he's thinking about, you know, when you're being deprived of that, when you're, when you're withholding that from one another, you think about it more often. And so I have a solution for you if you want to jot this down, guys. My plan is a, a balanced diet when it comes to sex, uh, that there are times when your spouse needs a snack, there are times when your spouse needs a dinner, and there are times when your spouse needs a banquet. All right, jot those down. A snack, a dinner, I'm helping all you guys out today, and a banquet. A snack is just when, you know, you want to be intimate, you want to be close, you don't really have a lot of time to do it, so you just kind of come together for a, a snack, all right? It's kind of like going through the drive-thru, McDonald's, you know, value meal, here we go, there's a snack. A dinner is not necessarily a four-course meal, but that's a sit-down, maybe you go to Moe's or something like that, it's a dinner. There's no appetizers necessarily, but you know, you, you come together for a medium length uh, of time in your sexual relationship. A banquet is when that's a romantic weekend. You just go away, right? A room service, we'll call that one room service, where you just spend some time with each other. Now, um, you should know, though, a marriage shall not live by snacks alone. I think that's according to God's word. And so if you're, if you're just serving your spouse a diet of snacks, actually you're cheating one another. 
It's not growing together. You need to put the time and effort into work on the, the relationship. Our experience, Kristen and I, has been it's difficult uh, to have a banquet when you're at home and you got four kids running around, all right? So make sure that you get away. Schedule time to do that. That's a good investment in your marriage. Call it marriage insurance. But get away with one another. A snack, a dinner, and a banquet. Write those down. All right, here we go. And this goes both ways, by the way, that we need to look out uh, not for number one, but for one another. First Peter 3, 7 says this. Likewise, talking to the guys, husbands, live with your wife in a way of understanding, in an understanding way. I wanna stop right here. Guys, we are commanded by God to understand our wives. Now, some of you are like, I don't understand my wife. She doesn't understand her either all the time, all right? I'll just throw that out there. So I get it. But the Bible commands us that we are to do our best to become a student of our wives, of our, our brides, to be able to understand them. And I promise you, if you'll do that, you'll never get bored because they're, they're always changing. In fact, I love a way uh, one woman wrote, she said uh, that women, this is how they change. In their preteens, they need love. Women in their teens, they need fun. Women in their 20s, they need romance. Women in their 30s, they need admiration. Women in their 40s need security. And women in their 50s, they just need cash, all right? So <laughs> probably not very scientific study right there. Uh, might be somewhat true. But you have to be willing to learn what's best for one another. And it goes on to say, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in a way that's Understanding. Well, my wife doesn't understand me. She's not, com she's not commanded to by God to understand you. Besides, you're easy, dude. Food, sex, sleep, and you know, that you're good to go. Um, live with your wives in a way that's understanding, showing honor to the woman as the, the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. And when I say that, a lot of women push back and they're like, I'm not weak. You know, kind of the gloves come off. And get all mad about that. Ladies, you should know something. That is not um, demeaning to you. This is actually elevating you, as you're going to see in a moment. This is not saying that you are a weak vessel, necessarily. All it's saying is that when it comes to physical strength, your husband's probably stronger than you. If you were going to bench press, you know, you're going to kind of max out 99% of the time. And this is not, you know, there are some exceptions. 99% of the time, your husband, husband's going to be able to bench press more than you. That's all that... This is saying, showing honor to the woman, women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers, listen to this, may not be hindered. The Bible says that our relationship with our wives actually um, influences our relationship with God. There's kind of a, uh, it impacts our prayer life with God. I'll, I'll say it like this, this right here, this is a, a drum This is a steel drum. It's a 55-gallon steel drum. You can't really hurt it. You know, you can, like, throw rocks at it. A lot of people like to shoot at it, you know, shoot bullets in them and, you know, just kind of, you know, move this thing around, toss it around. You're not really going to hurt this drum. Men, we're kind of like drums. You don't really hurt us that much physically. I know, you know, there are parts and we have some emotional things, all that kind of going on. But you can't really hurt us. That well, in fact, I've seen two guys uh, get into a huge fight with one another, start swearing at each other, start, start pushing each other. Five minutes later, one dude says, 
hey man, my bad, I was wrong. The other guy says, cool, cool, wanna go to Taco Bell and get some food, right? So that's like, and it's over. Because guys, we're drums. Don't really hurt us that well. Women have that kind of fight. Uh, It could be 50 years and there might be a chance of reconciliation, (laughs) maybe, maybe. But that's because we're drums, we're drums. And this is why, uh, guys, by the way, in the relationship, when you have a kind of a disagreement with your wife and you want things to be better immediately and you say sorry and, and she says sorry, things aren't better immediately. They're never better immediately. But because for us, we're drums. You know, we can kind of take it in real quick and then, and then we're good. But ladies, on the other hand, are a vase. Men are drums, women are a vase. Now I could argue all day long, this is stronger than that. So when the Bible talks about being a weaker vessel, okay, this is stronger, this can put up with some more, like I can shoot bullets at this and it's gonna you know, poke holes but it's not gonna you know, destroy it. You don't shoot bullets or BBs at that and expect it to be okay. I could argue that men, this is stronger than this, but I could also argue this is a lot more valuable than this. And so the key in the relationship, in the marriage, is guys, when we stop treating our wives like the drum that we are, because this is the way we operate, this is the way that we function, and we begin to treat them like the vase that they are, and honor them the way God wants us to honor them, like the precious, uh, worthy gift that they are to us, then here's what I know. That relationship will grow. Here's what I know. When you honor your wife that way, she'll walk through anything with you. She'll stand beside you through thick and thin. Here's what I know. When you treat them that way, the, the sexual relationship, the sexual intimacy will thrive because of it. And so we gotta stop treating them like the drum that we are and treat them like the vase that they are. Song of Solomon uh, gives us a lot of uh, words on how to do that. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and read it. It's a, it's a poem that kind of uh, lays out this whole love affair and what that looks like. And so guys, by and large, we're, we're not very good at creating the atmosphere uh, that is right for our spouses. Um, and Song of Solomon 6.12 says, you have made me eager for love. You may be eager for it. You've created this atmosphere. You've created this moment that makes me right, that makes me ready for love. And so I I did study after study, read article after article on how to make the atmosphere right for love, all right? How to make it eager for love. And here's what I've I've discovered. How you make, this is gonna help you out too, your woman eager for love every time. So take notes. Guys, this is how we do it. Caress, praise, pamper, relish, savor, massage, make plans, fix, don't fix, fix again, empathize, tantalize, exercise, serenade, compliment, support, humor, purr, hug, cuddle, excite, pacify, stroke, protect, phone, text, correspond, anticipate, nuzzle, smooch, jiffy lube, trash, mo, ray, love, forgive, sacrifice for, entertain, charm, show equality to, speckle, spackle, trust, grovel, brag about, help, acknowledge, polish, embrace, upgrade, accept, butter up, hear, understand, listen, slow dance, beg, bleed, borrow, steal, climb, swim, nourish, resuscitate, Respect, entertain, kill for, die for, dream of, promise, deliver, tease, flirt, commit, snuggle, snuffle, elevate, innovate, innovate, salivate, serve, bite, 
taste, nibble, gratify, take her places, scuttle like a crab on the ocean floor of her existence, diddle doodle, hokey pokey, hanky pakey, double black diamond, flip flop, palm tree, swings, flip, slide, slither, slash, squeeze, moisturize, humidify, the lather, tingle, keep on rocking in the free world, gelatinize, brush, bedazzle, drip, dribble, dry, knead, fluff, fold, show, interest in, Pinterest to indulge, wow, dazzle, razzle, amaze, flabbergast, exchange, idolize, worship, and then go back, Jack, and do it all again. That's how you make a woman eager for love. I also did some research for the benefit of you wives. How do you make a man eager for love every time show up naked? That was it. That's all I found. That's it. That's really it. We're different. We're different. But the goal is that we are, we're better together, that we complement one another, that we are created to do that, to connect, not to create conflict. And this is one of those areas that there's a lot of conflict unless we really learn how to talk about, unless we get great at communicating with one another. That we understand that, that sex happens long before the bedroom. It begins in our, our mind. It, under, it begins with a right understanding of what God's word says about it. And that it's reserved, it's sacred for marriage. That we need to love one another and, and it glorifies him, it brings glory to God when we do. That it's not about what I can get, it's not about how I can be served, but it's how can I serve. And see, I think that God wants our relationships to grow and, and I think um, our sexual relationship is vital in the insurance of our marriage and making sure that it's a lasting marriage. I believe God wants our, our marital grass to be so green, to be so lush, that everyone else's yard looks brown compares to yours. There's always this idea, right? What's greener on the other side? It's greener on the other side. It doesn't have to be if you just water your own yard. Make sure to fertilize it. Make sure that it grows. Make sure that, that you continue to, to serve one another in the relationship. And I think I want to talk about this before we close. Um, some of you, maybe ladies specifically, when you think about you being a vase and being valuable and being worthy, you might be sitting here and you feel like maybe you're damaged goods. You feel like maybe because you've made some mistakes, you've done it wrong, maybe you've, you've, you've been divorced, you're going through a divorce, things are nasty, things are ugly. Here's what I, I need you to know. That past does not dictate the way that God sees you. And then in Christ, this is who you are. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, this is who you are, that you are valuable, that you are worthy, that you are beautiful, that you are in fact priceless. Because if value is determined by the price somebody would be willing to pay for something, you know the price that God paid for you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. You are so worthy that he sent Jesus to take your place, to take the sin that we have, to take all those bad mistakes, all the way that we've screwed up, all the way that we've failed, all the way that we feel like we're damaged goods. And he says, I don't want you to hold on to that anymore. I came to die for that because this is who that I think you are. And this is who I believe you are. And so in Christ, when God looks at us, this is all he sees. His son, the, the, the sacrifice his son paid for us and the value that we have. And so here's what I want us to do. I wish you would uh, just bow your head, close your eyes. 
just for a moment. And just create an opportunity really for God to speak to you right where you are, for you to understand how valuable you are, the worth that you have. That in Jesus, he thinks you're worthy. So much that he died on the cross for you. And maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God or maybe you've been far from God. Maybe today he's, he's calling you back and saying that what you've done, the mistakes that you've, you've made, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Your past is not who you are. But moving forward, you can start fresh. You can start new. And the way we do that is by believing in that sacrifice that Jesus made for us and by receiving it and saying, I trust that your, your death covered my sins then when you rose from the dead like you you conquered the sin that was in my life and so Jesus I trust in that and if that's you today I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer that does that it's how we put our trust in Jesus and we begin a relationship with God you can say these words out loud you can say them in your heart the most important thing is that you believe them and if you'd say Colby when you pray that prayer man I'm joining with you I'm going to I'm gonna pray it right alongside of you with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Would you just raise your hand wherever you are right now? Just hold it up high and say, God, here I am. Awesome. God bless you all. Say, here I am, God. Like I'm not damaged goods because you love me so much that I am not my sin, that my Savior died for that. And so today I'm gonna to be set free. In Jesus' name, you can put your hands down. Pray something like this. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. I repent of that. And God, today I turn towards you. I allow Jesus to pay for all that. And I, I receive him into my heart and into my life. And from this moment on, I'm gonna have a fresh start in Christ. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Just tell him that I confess you as Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you guys celebrate with those today that cross that line of faith? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.